How you guys doing? Everything good? That's cool. You know, my little girl, Ellie, she's now eight. I really hope I got that right. I'm terrible with numbers. Thank you that somebody outside of myself knows the age of my daughter. That's awesome. That's good fatherhood right there, right? Good parenting. But I love it because when she was little, she would say, Daddy, 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 I want to I hold you. And what she meant is, I want you to hold me. But I love that. Did you know your Father in Heaven wants you to come and say, Father, I want to hold you. I want to hold glory. I want to hold the fire of your spirit. Father, Abba, Daddy, I want to hold you. There's a scripture that says each day he carries us in his arms. We kind of think we're doing it, right? Well, we kind of realize that we're, we're failing a lot when we're trying to do it. But all we have to do is say, Father, Abba, Papa God, I want to hold you. And crawl up into Abba's lap. Guys, if you, if, you didn't, if you walked away with one thing today is that he loves you. I'm still going over that song. I've sung it a thousand times, how he loves. But man, in 1 John it says, and we know and reply, reply, rely on the love that God has for us. At the end of the day, that's what it's about. God loves you. And if we could just catch a picture of that, if we could just catch the vision of how much we're loved by our Father in heaven, what would that do to us? Man, it would rock us. He loves you. End of story. That's, that's the good news. He loves you. Well, today we're continuing to talk about the Sabbath. And I hope that as we've gone along, we've heard about Sabbath. And the key word that goes along with Sabbath is rest. Rest. And most of you think, rest, man, that doesn't sound, it sounds great. I want to crawl into my Abba Father's arms, right? Who of you needs rest? If you're like, man, I just need rest from life and the craziness and the worries. I'm with you. But it's really interesting because in Genesis, it defines the Sabbath with the creation days. And God rested and how we need to rest. But in Deuteronomy, it's called the second law. That's what Deuteronomy means, second law. God's going to define some things for us in there. And in Deuteronomy, he says something very, very interesting. Listen to how God says this is what the Sabbath's about. He takes it from being about rest, and it's still about rest, to redemption. Listen to this, Deuteronomy 5.15. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and outstretched arm. Another way of saying that is he carried you on wings like eagles. He delivered you. He carried you. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Did you hear that? God suddenly connects the Sabbath with their past lives as slaves. Think about it. Slaves work 24-7. They have no rest, no benefits, and they are enslaved by what? Cruel masters. He says, remember you were slaves. Slaves don't rest. Slaves can't rest. Slaves, by definition, have no freedom to rest. See, for us as New Testament believers, Pharaoh and Egypt, Egypt and Pharaoh are spiritual symbols of being enslaved to the devil and his world system. And that because of that, because of the cross, we've been set free. We've been set free. And we have victory. You see, Romans says, sin will no longer be your master. What God is saying don't go back to what I removed. Don't place yourself under a yoke that I broke with my own pierced hands. See, when we refuse to rest, 
we turn away from victory, we turn away from freedom, it is to be chained again by what we once asked God to deliver us from. We are no longer slaves. You're not Satan's anymore. That's good news. You have freedom and access to kingdom power. But remember, Pharaoh was intent on keeping them, wasn't he? He didn't want them to know how powerful they were with their God and how powerful if they believed in what God said he would do. It's the same for us. The devil, the slave master, he doesn't want you to know how powerful you are. That power is available to you. It's available, but it doesn't mean it's accessed. Many believers are living powerless lives. There's no difference in them that's in the world. And here's why. This is the reason why. Because our minds are on earthly things. Listen to this verse in Colossians. Very simple. So simple, but so true. Colossians 3, 2 says this. Set your what? Minds. Say it with me. Minds on things above. What are the things above? What do we call it? Oh, you got to talk to me. I'll die up here if you don't talk to me. I'm one of those preachers, all right? Heaven, right. Thank you. Air fist bump. Boom. Got it. Right on. Yes, heaven. Set your mind on things above on heaven, not on earthly things. In other words, our minds can be on heaven or on earthly things, Egypt or the promised land, God or the devil. When the children of Israel faced difficulty in the desert, they wanted to what? What did they want to do? Go back. They wanted to return to Egypt. They thought like slaves. They had a slave mentality. God wanted to use the desert to drive out the slave mentality from them. And some of you are in that same place. God delivered you out of just craziness and nightmares and and just a bad situation. And he's brought you to this place. And you're like, God, why am I here? Why are my circumstances? Why is my job like this? Why is my family like this? Why did you bring me here? Did you bring me here just to die? I want to go back. God says, no. I've brought you here so you can see my greatness, that you can see my spirit move in your midst and to free you. You see, here's the deal. Slaves always want to go backwards. Sons always want to go forward. Slaves return to chains. Sons break chains. Slaves want to eat leeks and onions in Egypt. Sons want to feast at the abundance of their father's table. Slaves have tunnel vision. They can't see the future. Just a problem. Sons have heaven's vision and always have a future in the midst of their problems. Which kind of thinking do you think the devil wants you to have? Guys, there is a battle for your mind. Your mind, your soul, your mind, will, and emotions. You see, Sabbath is resting from slavery, a slave mentality, and learning to think as a son or daughter. It's a slave mentality versus sonship mentality, a battle of desires, and the battle is the soul, your mind, will, and emotions. Where did Satan attack Eve in the Garden of Eden? Her mind, her mind, will, and emotions, her soul. Here's our key verse, Romans 12, 2 says this, do not conform to the pattern of this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You see, in order to think like sons and daughters, our minds have to be constantly renewed. Your thinking must conform not to this world, but to heaven. 
Set your mind on heaven and you will renew your mind. So how are we to experience that inward transformation? Paul answers this by telling us what it doesn't mean in that first part. He says, do not be conformed to the world. Romans 12.2 says, world is age, it's eon. It's not cosmos for a planet containing people. When we hear world, we think planet. But it's an age, and it refers to one period of time distinct from all other periods of time. It has a beginning and an end. Let me read from 2 Corinthians. Who do you think the God of, of this age is right now? Listen to 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. In whom the God of this age hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Who's the God of this age? Satan. So Paul tells us not to be conformed to this present age, the present state of affairs on our planet, the current system dominated by sin and darkness and Satan. If our mind is not to be conformed to this age, what is the other option? The age to come. Heaven's realities. Our mind is renewed as it becomes transformed in the age to come. Other ways we could say the age to come would be the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God or heaven. We are transformed as we begin to perceive and experience life from the perspective of the age to come. Let me ask you a question. What would it be like to have your mind shaped by things to come and access the coming age which you already possess? Think about your life right now, your circumstances. What if you thought like heaven right now? See, Sabbath is a refusal to go back to Egypt, to the world system of slavery and darkness. It's changing my thinking to think like a son, not a slave. It's believing that I have access to the coming age. How do we have access? How do we have access? Remember, we're made out of three parts, right? A spirit, a soul, and a body. What part of you is already a part of the coming age? Your born-again spirit. Your born-again spirit. You belong to the age to come, and your born-again spirit is already in the age to come. When you were born again, you were made perfect in your spirit, and in Corinthians says you were mysteriously united with the Holy Spirit. It's an amazing thing. But we live within attention, right? The kingdom of heaven is both now and not yet, but it's within that tension that we can experience the power of the coming age. Jesus said the kingdom is within you. The kingdom of heaven is within you. How? You are born again spirit. When Paul challenges us not to be conformed to this present evil age, he's challenging us not to anticipate new creation. He wants us to anticipate new creation in us now. Not just when we die and go to heaven. Right now. You are a new creation, the Bible says. What if there was an age, and there is, where there were no more tears, death, mourning, crying, or pain, was to begin through us to invade the present evil age where there's only those things around us. That's what Jesus did. He said the kingdom was among us. How? Because he was there. He brought heaven's reality to earth. They tasted newness, new creation, how things should be, and he calls us 
to do the same. Let me ask you this. I want you to think about this. What does the age to come look like? Or what does this kingdom look like right now? Or, okay, let's, let's think of it this way. Tell me, what does heaven look like right now? I want you to think what it's like in heaven right now. Is there sexual immorality in heaven? Is there depression in heaven? Worry and anxiety in heaven? Hate? Sickness? Does the flesh have any power in heaven? No. If those things aren't far off things, if heaven in the age to come is already within us, Jesus said that, why don't we access them? And I'm just going to be real personal. This is what, what the Holy Spirit wrote through me in the journal, asking me questions. This is the Spirit of God. He was like nailing me to the ground. And this is what he said, Brian, why do you believe that Satan has more powerful, is, is more powerful than I am? Why does it seem that your flesh is more powerful than I am? Why are you dominated by this age and its world system? Shouldn't it be different? See, we often settle for the perspective of this age instead of heaven. It's broken thinking versus whole thinking. We aren't denying reality, but what we're saying is that's not the only reality. When we only see circumstances, we only see in part. There's also a heavenly reality. That's whole thinking. It's the complete picture. It's when we start to say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in what? Heaven. In other words, bring heaven's reality. Open our eyes to it. Give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation to know you better. Enlighten the eyes of our heart. When God uses the word revelation, he's not trying to keep things obscure. It means an unveiling. The spirit of God has unveiled us. You have a choice to see heaven's realities. You've been unveiled by the Spirit of God. What are your eyes looking at? What are your thoughts? Is it your reality right now? Think about this. And I'm going to get real personal with my struggles. Is there fear in heaven? I struggle with fear. Fear is a huge one we struggle with, right? When I fear... I'm believing a lie that fear has control over me. It doesn't. The word of God said he has not given me a spirit of fear or timidity, but of power, love, and a sound mind. See, I just renewed my mind with the word of God, with the heavenly reality that's mine now, if I'll renew my mind. Otherwise, I willingly put myself under fear, which has no right to control me because the blood of Jesus has freed me from it. Why do you think more like earth than heaven? This was God talking to me. This is straight out of my journal. And I wrote, we expect more out of Satan than we do you. And it's bad thinking. It's this present evil age thinking. And it's the true definition of insanity, but it seems normal. I struggle with lust. But how have I had power over it? Well, in heaven, there's no sexual immorality. And I'm a part of that age now. Lust is not who I am now. My born-again spirit will never want lust. My flesh will. It will always want what God wants because it belongs to the age to come. The Bible says sin is no longer my master. How do I pass into heavenly thinking that empowers me with the age to come reality, even though my flesh still wants lust? I reckon it by faith. 
I'm free. When Hebrews says that he is able to help those who are being tempted, I believe him and I take him at his word and I reckon it so. And I've been free. Do I still struggle? Yes, but nothing like I used to. I reckon it by faith. I reckon who I truly am in Christ and I've overcome. Some of you are like, but that seems impossible. I hear that all the time. And I know it because I've thought the same thing. There's times I still think the same thing. But here's the deal. Let's be really, really honest. It seems impossible because you're so in tune with this evil age. And because you think the flesh is more powerful than God's spirit. And you fundamentally believe that that's who you are. That's who I'll always be. But that's your old man, the Bible says. The flesh, you were made new. I'll just give you some other areas I struggle with. I'm, I'm trying to be really practical. Have you heard a lot of my story about my struggle with depression? First grade, I remember being depressed. I didn't, couldn't name it depression because I didn't know any better, but I can look back. I struggle with worth and value. And in my battle, I've taken more and more ground as I believe more and more about who I am. But I also saw with eyes in my heart from Holy Spirit that I'm no longer those things. And as I begin to agree with what God says about me, not the world, Satan, or my flesh, I overcome. You see, in the age to come, there is no depression. I have value and worth. And that age is already in my heart. I have sonship because I belong to that age. But here's what I'm saying. You don't have to wait to heaven to experience that Heaven's in your heart right now because you were born again. Those are realities you can now tap into. You can experience them now. Here's one thing for anxiety. You know, I don't get up on stage because I'm like confident to get on stage. I get up on stage because God commanded me to. But I've struggled with anxiety. I don't want to get up in front of people. I do because God told me to. And he gives me strength to do it. But I want to show you how I overcome I stop the thoughts. I immediately stop it right there. And I agree with what God says and what heaven says. Here's an example. I confess with my lips out loud. And if this seems crazy to you, hang on. Lord, you've not called me to anxiety. And in heaven, there's no anxiety. And because I'm born again and have your life in me, anxiety will not rule me. I surrender to you in Jesus' name. I make a confession that agrees with what God says. And I say it until my heart has peace and the Holy Spirit takes over. Guys, the Holy Spirit is the key to all this. Some of us are freaked out. What does that mean? Is the Holy Spirit going to make me do weird things? Some of you are like, I can't wait to get to heaven because the Holy Spirit, you kind of look at him as like a bandage, you know, and you'll be able to rip it off because you'll finally be able to be with Jesus. But the Bible says the Holy Spirit will eternally be with us. It says for eternity we will experience Jesus through the Holy Spirit. We better get to know him now. You see, as the Spirit fills and empowers us, the future reality becomes a present experience, and you will know freedom. But remember, Satan doesn't want believers to see heaven's realities. He wants you to see yourself as a slave. He doesn't want you to have the confidence that heaven has You know heaven's confident, right? Do you think God's up there shaking in his boots? Do you think he's like, oh man, maybe I don't have all this. Heaven is confident. God is always confident. 
You may be shaking in your circumstance, but God is not. And he has a plan and a future for you. Satan wants you stuck on what you see, but God wants you stuck on heaven's realities. If you want to change, and and here's what I'm going to say, because I think we kind of expect God, we're this kind of fast food Christian culture, like if we drive through and God doesn't give it to us right now, I'm done, didn't work. So what I say, hear this, if you want to overcome, you have to fight. You have to fight fight. If you want change, you have to fight. It's the battlefield of the mind. If you want change, you must reckon what God said is true, regardless of what you see. I love it in Romans when it talks about Abraham. It says he reckoned it so. What did Abraham reckon? Things that were impossible that could not happen, but because God said it, he said, I will not give up on believing. I will go forward. I will not go backwards. I will reckon it so by faith. Through faith, the heavenly reality of God's kingdom breaks into my present view. Where does faith come from? Faith comes from hearing, hearing the word of God. Guys, this Bible is nuclear. You can defeat the devil on your worst day. Ephesians calls it the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. This can do it right here, but do you know it? The devil has great interest in you not knowing this book. The devil has great interest in letting this collect dust on your coffee table. Because he understands if you read this, it's living and active. And there's no creature that can hide from this. If there's any enemy of God that comes against you, any demonic stronghold, if there's any work of Satan in our lives, it can't hide from this. It's living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And you know why it's sharper than any two-edged sword? Because when it comes into your life, it does two things. It finds the enemy and it slays him. And it finds your wounds and like a scalpel, it goes in and heals you. This is a healer and a killer. It kills the bad things and it heals the pain. This is a supernatural sword. And if you don't hunger for it, well, welcome to the club. It's called the flesh. The flesh will never desire God's word, but your born again spirit will. And if you follow the spirit, he'll give you a love for this. Even Leviticus, which is actually an awesome book. It's an amazing book. But he'll give you a love for this. It's a supernatural sword. And by faith, listen, By faith, we activate this. Remember the children of Israel, they heard the word of God, but it was of no value to them. Why? Because they did not mix what they heard with faith. But if we mix it with faith, our minds will be renewed. So what do we need to do? Let's put it together. The first is you need to take ownership of your thought life. Listen, God doesn't decide what you think. Satan doesn't decide what you think. You decide what you think. Own it. Own up to it. Many assume their thought life is something that happens to them rather than something they have control over. Proverbs says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Psalm 114 says, may the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. Do you see the connection of what we meditate on and what we speak? Jesus says this. 
out of the overflow of the heart, of your thought life, your mouth speaks. Do you realize you're speaking what you believe every day? Every day. When you speak those negative words over your family, over your children, when you speak it over your job, when you speak it over your coworkers, when you speak it over your church, you're doing something very powerful. And the Bible says you will be snared by your words. You're speaking what you truly believe every day. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Proverbs says, there is life and death in the tongue. Are your words and meditation pleasing? Do they lead you to an oasis or to a cesspool? So when the devil comes to make a cesspool up here in your mind, you need to come to him with the scripture, with what's living and active. This is the standard. Isaiah 59, 19 says, so when the enemy comes in like a flood, it doesn't say the enemy might come in. If we maybe treat him nice, maybe I won't have any problems in life. It says when the enemy comes in like a flood, The enemy wants to pound you, and he is going to pound you. But it says the Spirit of God lifts up the standard against him. It's God's Word. It's the Spirit of God. See, your enemy has a tongue too, and he's an accuser. But the tongue of your advocate, Jesus, is what we need to agree with. It says, you know, we hear the the verse all the time, going off script, No weapon formed against me shall prosper. But we don't know the second part of that. And you shall refute the enemies. God's saying, this is my heritage to my people. They will take my words on their mouth and they will refute their enemies. He prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. That's your heritage in Christ Jesus. Do the words of your mouth agree with heaven Don't be deceived. Look, I'm not trying to say Satan's this great thing, that he's all-powerful, all that. He is not, and he's a defeated foe. Only we allow him to do what he wants to do in our lives. But listen to this. You got to be aware of this. The power, there is power in the enemy's words, and they affect and oppress everyone that hears them. And many, many Christians speak his words. You must recognize the voice of the enemy. The enemy has so programmed the minds of believers until instead of resisting him, they have unknowingly just buddied up with him and began to talk his language and confess his lies about themselves, others, and God. Some of you are destroying your spouse with your words. Some of you are destroying your future with your words. And you're blaming God. You must war against the devil with the word of God till your heart and your mouth agree with God. I love it, T.D. Bishop Jakes, Bishop T.D. Jakes, T.D. Bishop Jakes, whatever. He says, in your attitude, you get altitude. And what he means is when you have the attitude of Christ, you start to think and see like heaven. The second thing we need to do is we need to worship, meditate, and confess with your mouth. Hebrews 13, 15 says, through Jesus, therefore, let us offer a sacrifice of praise the fruit of lips that confess Jesus in the valley of the shadow of death. Worship him. Worship him in times of darkness when the enemy comes in like a flood. Worship him in spirit and truth. In Egypt, God said, let my people go so they can worship me. 
the heart of worship is rest. It's Sabbath because it focuses on heaven's realities. Worship is rest, a stopping from all work, all worrying, all scheming, all fleeing to magnify, make big Jesus. The problem is, is we come in this place and can't worship because we've magnified our circumstances. We've made them so big and given them so much power. But when we worship in spirit and truth, it's like a magnifying glass. And we're saying, Jesus is big, bigger than my problems, bigger than anything in my life. And we begin to magnify him and see heaven's reality. God is bigger than anything you're going through right now. We need to worship him in spirit and truth. It's in worship that we can see and believe heaven's reality. Worship may seem passive, but it's one of the most explosive weapons you have against the enemy. And here's why. In the warfare in the Bible, who led the way were the worshipers. What you've done when you've worshiped is you've said, God, I want you at the front line of the battle. When you worship, you cease to try to battle in yourself and you say, God, I need you. How many people want God fighting their fight for them? He says in his word, he will do that. But we usually don't give up, right? We're fighting and we're striving. And he's just back there waiting for you to cease so he can walk up and slay the dragon. And you know how he slays the dragon? Your tongue. As you take the word of God upon your tongue and speak it in power and in faith in Jesus' name. And it transforms our perspective. But notice it says, confess Jesus. This goes beyond worship as we think with singing songs, which is powerful. Listen, men, I'm speaking specifically to you. You can get excited about sporting events and yell and go crazy and throw up your hands. But when you come into the church of God, you can't lift your hands to the Savior who died for you. We need men to rise up and worship. Worship in spirit and truth. Listen, one day every knee is going to bow, every tongue is going to confess Jesus is Lord. We might as well start now. The most reiterated command is sing. Sing his praises. Maybe if we could get this little command, like sing his praises, maybe we could go out and do the real work, like justice. Like feeding people the word of God and feeding them physically and going into all the world. Our God inhabits the praises of his people. You know why Satan doesn't want you to come in here and he doesn't want TBA to be a worshiping church? Because God inhabits the praises of his people and that scares him. When a people are on fire for God in the spirit, that scares him. But our God inhabits praise. But notice it says confess Jesus. This goes beyond just that. It speaks to a very practical thing I've already been saying. Your words. Most of us, if we recorded the words of our lips, would be appalled. We would find that we confess the wrong things and are defeated. We are speaking the words of the enemy, the slave driver. Of these words, they hold us in bondage. Proverbs 6.2 says, you are snared by the words of your mouth. I want you to think about this. Words are containers, like a container you fill up with water. They carry faith or fear, and they produce after their kind, just like a seed produces. What are you putting in the container? Your words have that much power. This is Bible. This isn't the world speaking. This isn't me speaking. This is the word of God. Listen to Jesus in Mark 11. Mark 11, 22, 24. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. I tell you the truth. If anyone says to this mountain, 
Go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart, but believes what they say will happen. It will be done for them. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you had received it and it will be yours. Notice Jesus says, say to this mountain. Jesus is like, I want you to start speaking to the mountains. I want you to start speaking to depression. I want you to start to speak to worry and to sickness. I want you to start speaking to those in faith in God. If you get a picture of your Father in heaven, you'll know how to speak to your circumstances. He is the object of your faith. This isn't put your faith in your own faithfulness. This is put your faith in God. Jesus operated in faith. See, so many of us, we speak to mountains. We're like, I want that new car. I want this and this. I'm going to speak it out loud. That's not what he's saying. He's saying it's about relationship. That just like Jesus, Jesus said, I only speak what I hear the Father saying. I only do what I see the Father doing. He was walking so closely, he knew what mountains to speak to. He knew which sick people to speak to to go get healing. There was a lot of people at the pool of Bethsaida that needed healing. He spoke to one person because he was listening to the Father to know what mountains to speak to. We need to be walking with our Abba Father to know what mountains in faith to speak to. Jesus operated in faith. He heard the Father. If we hear the Father and our hearts have revelation, we will know what to speak and confess with our lips. Jesus spoke to demons, winds and seas, fig trees, even to dead men. And we are called to be imitators of God, to imitate Jesus. We must talk like him and act like him. Jesus operated in those faith principles. We have a speaking face. Faith, we confess with our mouth what God speaks. We need to speak. Romans says this, the word is near you. It's in your mouth, in your heart. This is the word of faith we're confessing or professing. Jesus is the high priest of our confession. So we need to take the word of God and meditate on it and confess it. Did you know in that the definition of meditation We think of it like Eastern religion, like it's to empty my mind. Biblical meditation is actually to wash your mind, to renew your mind. Renew in Greek is like an antique chair being restored, to restore your mind. And it's not just memorizing verses. And and the ancient Hebrews knew this. Within the definition of Hebrew, uh, in the Hebrew of meditation is to speak out loud, to speak God's word out loud. It simply means rehearsing God's word in our minds and saying it out loud through the day. And some of you are like, um, I can't meditate. There's no way I can meditate on God's word. I don't even know how to meditate. Well, by the way, you know how to meditate. You know how I know? Because you meditate on lust and fear all the time. How's that working for you? Maybe we need to meditate on something else. You have access to power. You are a son, not a slave. Think like a son. Speak like a daughter of the Most High God. Find out what that book says and begin to believe and speak it. You've heard me share this story before, but I want to share it again. One of my favorite stories that Louis Gigolo tells is an experience he had in Asia while on a mission trip. He came to a village where he saw a huge elephant in the middle of the village. Of course, getting up close, the sheer power and greatness of this animal, of this elephant, pretty much made him think, man, if this thing gets loose, I'm dead. They are majestic creatures, the strongest. But he also noticed a piece of string around its leg. 
as he asked the guide about this thin little piece of string around its leg. He told him this. When a baby elephant is born into captivity, the trainers drive a solid wood stake deep into the ground that's firm and immovable. Then they'll take the heaviest chain they can find and wrap it around the baby elephant's leg and tie it to the stake. The baby elephant will pull and struggle. They're meant to be free. They're meant to be loose. And they tug with all their might, everything in them to break free, but to no avail. Over time, the baby elephant will develop a mindset that it is impossible to escape. There's no way to escape. As the elephant gets older and stronger, because of its mindset that it's developed, the owner can replace that strong chain with a simple little string. And yet the elephant won't pull against it or break free in freedom. It seems crazy. The most powerful beast to walk the earth, held captive in slavery by a tiny little string. But it's not held back by the string. It's held back by its thinking. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Are you being held back by your thinking? Do you think like heaven? The cross won your victory Pass from being a powerless Christian into a Christian who believes what God has said. Mix what you hear with faith. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Last week, Brian Lake had you get a sticky note and write that mental stronghold on there. I want you to pull those out if you still have that. And if you don't, if you look in your bulletin, there's another sticky note right there. I want you to go ahead and write that mental stronghold again. But what I want you to do this time is I want you to write a confession that you can speak out loud. Something you can speak out. And I want you to meditate on that confession and say it at least three times a day. Maybe three times a second, if you could. We're in that need of God's renewal of our minds. I'm going to give you an example. I gave it to you earlier. And I'm going to read it out loud. This is my confession for anxiety. I confess with my lips out loud, O Lord, Lord, you have not called me to anxiety, and in heaven there's no anxiety, and because I'm born again and have your life in me, anxiety will not rule over me. Holy Spirit, I surrender to you. I surrender it to you. We need to begin to confess in faith the heavenly realities Jesus has spoken over you. Heaven lives in confidence, so should you. This is what I want you to do, and it may be a little uncomfortable, but as the lights come down, as the band gets ready, I want you to do something. Let's go and stand on our feet. If you need to write out that confession, keep doing it, you're good. But what I want you to do is I want you to speak out loud right now. Whatever it is, I want you to say, anxiety, you have no power over me in Jesus' name. Now this may be for someone else, And name them by name if you need to. But whatever that mental stronghold is, if it's fear, if it's lust, lust, you will have no power over me in Jesus' name, amen. Fear, you have no right to me. By the blood of Jesus, I'm free. You have no power over me in Jesus of Nazareth's name, amen. So as we play, there's some music right now, but I want you to begin to speak that out loud. Go ahead. I know it's crazy. We're at at TBA. We're not always very expressionate. That's okay. But speak it out loud now. God hears you. 
Who cares who's around you? We need to begin to take this stuff seriously by faith. The other thing too, if today you've got things in your life that your tongue needs healing, remember there's death and life in your tongue. Today you're like, man, my tongue, the words I speak to myself, maybe it's the words I speak to my wife, my husband, my children, the fear that I keep thinking and speaking out loud over something, I need the anointing of Holy Spirit upon those things. I want to invite you to come up. Tim and I are going to be up here. We have anointing oil. We just want to anoint your forehead in the name of Jesus that Holy Spirit will take control of your tongue as you submit to him, whatever it is. And I also have this. This is something I use. It's just titled Unconquerable Meditation Verses. And these are verses from the Bible that I put into a tiny little confession form. These are things that I've used. If you want one, please come and get one. There's some at Next Steps as well. But I'm going to invite you today to have faith and to speak out loud his word. Let's worship.